0: Habib, and you're listening to Our American Stories. For the hour and for two, we're going to focus in on one man's life because he was born today. His name is John Wooden, the immortal, legendary coach at UCLA. You know, this game that he played wasn't just basketball, it was life. But the love of his life, his wife, One, Jesus, one, basketball, we're going to cover in the next two hours. We're going to cover a lot of blocks and a lot of subjects. Wooden took to this game when it was barely a game, when it was barely a sport. He was born in 1910, an Indiana farm, farm boy. And all he could think of was to shoot those baskets at a hoop his father had forged out of iron and forged out of iron, well, because he couldn't afford to buy one. 21 miles away in a town called Martinsville, the high school gym could pack in 5,228 fans, like sardines, every time. And for a town with only 4,800 people, that's something. In this world, back in those days in Indiana, high school boys would become rock stars, as we saw in that great that fantastic movie, Hoosiers.
1: Here's what we're going to do. Jimmy, they're going to be expecting you to take the last shot. We're going to use you as a decoy. All right, let's go. What's the matter with you guys? What's the matter with you? I'll make it.
0: By leading his Martinsville High School team to the Indiana State Championship in 1927, the young John Wooden became a legend. He was named All-American three years in a row at Purdue, the first player to achieve this in college basketball history. Four Four decades later, the Hoosier legend had become the matchless coach. At UCLA, they called him the Wizard of Westwood. But the only magic he ever used was his character, love, integrity, and, most important, simplicity. With eight undefeated seasons, Wooden led the greatest dynasty in the history of college sports. Heck, all of sports. No team had ever won more than four NCAA championships. UCLA won seven in a row, 10 in 12 years. Their 88-game winning streak remains the longest ever in any college sport. He's only one of three people to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as both a player and coach. Sporting news declared him the greatest coach who ever lived. But that was not his great success or even his standard of success. Here is Coach Wooden talking about his own standard of success.
2: My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. And only you as an individual will know whether you did that or not. You can fool others, but you can't fool yourself.
0: You can't fool yourself. Peace of mind. When's the last time you heard that as a definition of success in this culture? But what greater success is there than to be at peace with yourself, thought Wooden. Today is Wooden's birthday, and in honor of one of the greatest men that ever lived, we'll spend these next two hours celebrating him, stories about him, what made him the man he was. By the way, you don't even need to like basketball to appreciate today's show. And joining us for the full show well pat williams a man who's written 3 3 books about coach how to be like coach wooden also coach wooden the seven principles that shaped his life which we're going to be getting into and coach wooden's greatest secret the power of the little things done well pat by the way is a pretty incredible by incredible guy himself some say he's one of the closest living examples to john wooden he co-founded and is now senior and was senior vice president of the orlando magic pat has written 80 books on leadership and has run over 58 marathons and has 19 children, 14 of which were adopted. In 2004, John Wooden personally presented to Pat the Keys to Life Award, given to those who aspire to follow his seven keys to life. Pat, thanks so much for joining this celebration of John Wooden. Well,
3: Lee, thank you. It's a wonderful day and an important day in the life of the great uh, Coach Wooden. He always uh, looked forward to his birthday, and it would be hard to believe, I guess he'd be, what, 105?
0: 105. You know, we have, we have some footage we're going to run through later where he is surrounded by his boys in an ESPN special in 2005. Pat, he's 95, he's cracking the boys up, and he's making them laugh.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. What a life, what a man. A uh, remarkable figure. And uh, his his legacy, Lee, his, his lessons, uh, all that he teaches us is going to go on in this nation. I think, for many, many decades. He, he will never be forgotten.
0: Well, what we're going to do, Pat, is we're coming up against a break. I just wanted to set this up for the audience. We're going to be spending uh, the next two hours together. You know, I wanted to read something that uh, Bill Walton had said in, in the book, in one of your books, and it was, it's you know, it's just so touching that a guy like Walton, all these years later, he still almost talks, Pat, about Coach like he had coached him yesterday. And he said, Coach rarely talks about basketball. But generally about life. He never talks about strategy, stats, or plays, but rather about people and character. And he never tires of telling us that once you become a good person, then you have a chance of becoming a good ball player and whatever else you may want to do. Pat, your comments on that.
3: Well, that's true. He uh, was teaching life skills uh, far beyond the basketball skills. Yes, he was a great basketball instructor, he was a great teacher. Uh, studied the game thoroughly, always prepared. All of that is true. But uh, in my study of Coach Wooden and communicating with his former players, uh, it was always about getting them ready for life after basketball. It was always about preparing them for the rigors of life that were coming up long after their playing days were over. And and finally, you know, all those players, uh, they got it. You know, down the road – uh, years later, it was like a light went on. Whoop! Now we get what he was doing.
0: Yep. Getting his going to
3: fathers he- and grandfathers and business people and ministers and all of the
0: above. You bet. We're joined by Pat Williams. We're celebrating Coach John Wooden for the next two hours. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories.
4: Born the middle son of a farmer in a small town, southern man. Like his dad.
0: This is Lee Habib, and you're listening to Our American Stories. You're listening to Bruce Springsteen telling the story of a character wanting the strength to walk like a man and hoping he could be who his father was. And I think that in the end, uh, John Wooden was just that, a father to so many, so many young men who became men. And joining us uh, for these two hours is Pat Williams. No one has written more about leadership than Pat. 80 books, three of them on Coach John Wooden. And, uh, Pat, thanks for joining us. Pat, what I'd like to do right now is run through some clips, play them, and get your response. This is 2005, that scene I was setting up earlier. It's yeah. CSBN. It's Coach's birthday, and he's 95 years old, and he's surrounded by these men who, well, Pat, it was as if the the ball-playing years had just happened, well, days ago. And, uh, well, this first clip is fascinating and it's, well, Jeremy Schapp asking the boys, what was it like playing for Wooden? And listen to the camaraderie of these boys.
1: It's been a long time since you guys played for Coach Wooden, from 30 to 40 years. <laughs> Thanks. Well, well 42 yeah. years right here. Wow. Years, ago, years. What did you think of him, Kenny, when you were playing for him?
5: It was awful.
4: (laughs)
1: Well, at least you're not mincing your words.
4: And that's a step
5: up from what Jamal and I thought. (laughs) That's just the truth. I thought it was
4: (laughs) terrible. I mean, my
5: first
1: day of practice, he kicked Bill out because his hair was too long. So as a 17-year-old freshman, when you see your coach have that kind of authority over the College Player of the Year, Sullivan Award winner, it kind of sends a message that you as a freshman you kinda of need to listen to what he's talking about
2: it was his way or no way yeah and so that's why we spent a lot of time in the library
5: <laughs> and we knew that if we didn't listen to him we're on the bench and somebody else is in there and all these great careers are just gone as like like dust in the wind if you didn't do exactly what he said which is what I did all the time he did like spirited players because I think in his younger days, he was a spirited player.
0: (laughs) And, Pat, the guys you were listening to, well, Bill Walton, Marcus Johnson, Lynn Shackelford, Jamal Wilkes, Keith Erickson, Kenny Washington. I can't count the number of NCAA titles, but between those guys, they're in their 50s and 60s, that camaraderie, and also that discipline. Talk about both, and that laughter particularly, Pat. What was that all about, that laughter?
3: Well, they loved their coach, and they also knew that John Wooden had a Delightful sense of humor. Now they may not have seen it all the time, you know, back back in the day when they were playing for him. Uh, but uh, Coach Wooden had that twinkle in his eye, and he could uh, he could joke and kid with the best of them. I think one of the real blessings, uh, Lee, that those players got is the fact that John Wooden lived such a long life and was in good health and sharp right up till his death. So therefore. Uh, these guys could come back as adults. They could come back with their children, I guess, in some case with their grandchildren, and and uh, spend time with their coach. Uh, not many guys in sports get to do that, and so they uh, they had an adult relationship with their coach.
0: Yeah, and what a blessing! That,
3: I think that was a that was a blessing, and it's a big part of the legacy of John Wooden. Uh, they wrote books about him, and, and here's one other quick thought, Lee. While I'm thinking about it. Uh, Coach Wooden's probably, his greatest contribution will be the books he wrote, uh, starting basically in his late 80s and and on for the next decade. Uh, if he had passed away, say, at 85, uh, none of those books would have been written and by him, and, and uh, we would have all been deprived. So that's another very interesting twist to all of this, that the fact he lived to be 99... In fact, uh, the last book that he wrote uh, came out about six weeks after he died. Uh, He was proofing it in the hospital the night before he died, and it came out, a coffee table book with beautiful pictures, came out later that July, and uh, uh, there he was finishing up his last book in the hospital.
0: Well, so, what, a gi- what a gift, though, fact, Pat. The fact
3: that he was he was an English teacher and and loved to uh, you know loved to write and explain things, and he had people around him who helped him, but uh, those books are priceless, by the way. They're still in bookstores, and uh, that's the good news.
0: Yeah, and what a gift he gave to those boys, because, well, how many coaches continue to have relationships with players 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, Pat? I mean, in very your experience. Few, Lee,
3: very few. You could probably count them on one hand, but... These guys were almost all, all of them uh, were in touch with Coach Wooden regularly. Uh, Bill Walton talked to him on the phone every day,
0: <laughs>
4: you know, until, yep.
3: until his death.
4: Amazing. And uh, they, Amazing. They, all,
3: uh, they all would come back, they would all visit him, they were all uh, calling him and talking to him on the phone. Uh, I found that to be a beautiful, beautiful part of the John Wooden story.
0: Let me go back to that uh, scene uh, and describe the next clip. Coach, Coach, it turns out, had created a certain type of player. And by being, I think, a certain kind of coach.
1: When you guys watch
0: college basketball
1: today, and so much of the focus is on the coaches and their histrionics and their pacing up and down the sidelines and their screaming at players and that kind of stuff, what do you think when you see that, Marcus? You know, once I got to the NBA so many of the players that I'd play against, my own teammates, they would always say the trademark of UCLA players, you guys are just so cool. Or, you know, How come you guys are just so cool? But it was because of that, that, that even plateau that Coach Wooden kind of demanded that we stay on.
5: And uh, so I mean, I don't particularly like a lot of that stuff, but uh, it's just it's not my cup of tea because... You know, I kind of learn from this guy. A guy makes a breakaway yeah, layup, yeah. and everybody's, yeah, that's the greatest he's shot He's dancing, ever <laughs> yeah, Right, right, yeah. The, the, only show, <laughs> the only show of emotion out on the basketball court was you had to acknowledge no, the guy who threw the
2: pass
3: to yeah, you. Absolutely. You better do that.
0: You better acknowledge the guy who threw the pass. That was the only emotion permitted. Talk about that, Pat.
3: Well, uh, John Wooden uh, said this. Uh, I did all my teaching during the week uh, uh, thoroughly totally prepared. Uh, we taught uh, everything that we could teach them. And then when the game came, it was up to them uh, to go out and perform. There was no more I could add. add. And uh, that's why I sat there. Uh, I rolled-up program. Now, listen, Lee, he could get on the referees. <laughs> you know, he had a way of doing it. Now, he didn't have to put on a big show doing it, but he was uh, working the refs, you know. But uh, he did not uh, jump up and down and carry on and he just felt the uh, classroom was the practice facility and his players were taught and they were ready and uh, now let's just go play the game now the fact uh, that he had Lou Alcindor and bill walton and uh, and uh, that great cast of talent you know that probably uh, made his uh, evenings during the games a little more pleasant a lot more pleasant but uh, he just did not feel that uh, he, he had to do a lot of stuff during the game. He'd done it all during the week.
0: Yeah, and we're going to get into his practice rituals, how he thought and approached practice, and what he thought and missed most about the game, which it turns out were the practices. He said he didn't miss the games. He didn't miss the awards, but he did miss being with the boys and then teaching them how to become men. I wanted to play a quick clip for you, Pat, because I found this just fascinating. You know, Wooden was always sitting on the sidelines with a clenched fist, always with that clen- clenched fist. What was in that fist? You carried a cross mm-hmm. at every game in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't realize that at the
1: time. I didn't want
2: anybody to know it. Why not? A personal type of thing. But my minister gave me this in 1942 when I enlisted in the service. And I was always in my hand in time Before I thought there would be any stress at all. It's a different cross. It has the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And has the heart and the moonad. And I've never seen it. They're about worn out, so you can hardly see them now. And I've had this since 1942. I said the main thing that this was good for was officials. I might have been a little more demonstrative at times.
0: Pat, you've got about one minute here. We're going to come back to this a little bit later, but the role of faith in John Wooden's life.
3: Well, it was important. He grew up in the church uh, in Central Indiana. Uh, went to church every Sunday. His faith in Christ was real. Uh, he believed that God had a plan and that God was in charge of his life. Uh, God, God oversees the universe. And I think that gave him uh, such a peace and, and such a, a, a relaxed uh, inner, inner fiber. You know, he didn't have to get all worked up because he knew the Lord was in control. So uh, he was not a, a Billy Graham. He was not out doing evangelistic services, uh, but his faith was real. It was solid. And it was a huge part of his life and the life of his family.
0: Well, Pat, when we come back, we're going to get into that a bit more. We're going to spend some more time there at that session in ESPN in 2005. And, you know, when you have that, that faith and you don't talk about it the way he did, well, the world didn't know. And that's one of the things we like to do here is tell folks the stories that the mainstream media will not tell. The actual animating force behind John Wooden's life. That cross.
3: Eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line. find myself alone
0: when each day's through. Yes, I'll admit. This is Lee Habib. When you're listening to Our American Stories, we're talking about John Wooden, the entire show. And joining us is Pat Williams for the entire show. Pat's written more books on leadership than just about anybody I know, and particularly sports, but all walks of life. And uh, we were just talking about a remarkable get-together with Coach Wooden and Marcus Johnson, Bill Walton, Keith Erickson, Lynn Shackelford, Jamal Wilkes, all of these great players in 2005 to celebrate John Wooden's 95th birthday. And here's a, a key moment uh, Jeremy Shap asks John Wooden an important question about, well, how did he treat all these different boys, and how did he, he manage them, and what were his standards, and you know, well, how did he do this?
1: Of these guys, Coach, who stood up to you the most?
0: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you started. You know,
6: yeah.
2: Well, I I That's wouldn't pick pretty... on him, but uh, Jeremy, um, I feel the same way about parents that are complaining about perhaps about their youngsters not playing certainly they're prejudiced toward the youngsters I'm prejudiced toward mine
1: and, and you learned that you had to treat players differently you couldn't have the same rules for everyone no
2: and I tried to tell them that I, I didn't like them all the same I loved them all the same I hope but I didn't like them all the same anymore and they like each other all the same he would say I'm not gonna like all of you this equally but when it comes to basketball I'm gonna make basketball decisions and I think that took a lot of pressure off and made
5: Guys feel like they could be themselves, whether he was as affectionate toward them or not. Coach Wooden was often criticized for having a double standard, that guys, you know, troublemakers like Jamal and Kenny Washington would get away with everything. (laughs) (laughs) And when when he was queried about it in the press, he would always say, double standards, what are you talking about? I've got 12 standards, one for every member of the team. And for that, we thank you, Coach.
0: For that, we thank you, Coach. Pat, that's a hard thing for a lot of leaders to wrap their heads around, let alone parents. Talk about that.
5: Well, that's
3: true. Um, uh, Coach Wooden studied each one of his players, knew them inside out, uh, knew how to motivate them, knew how to inspire them, knew what each one wanted or what which each one needed (coughs) to perform. (coughs) Excuse me, Lee, to perform at their best. And uh, he made a real study of it. And uh, I think that's why the players seemed so appreciative, you know, when that topic was discussed here just a few minutes ago. Uh, it was not a cookie-cutter operation. And uh, he uh, made a decision on this is what Bill Walton needs and this is what Jamal Wilkes needs and this is how I need to address them and deal with them. And uh, he, he was a master at it. No, uh, nobody, nobody did it better.
5: I want to
0: talk a little bit about his wife because, well, it wasn't just that Wooden was closer to his wife or as close as any man can be, but he was always teaching the boys about, well, how a coach should treat not just the players in his life, not just the refs, not just the AD, but he was leading by example, showing the boys, well, how he how he interacted with and how he lived, Uh, a code that put even his wife above, well, the basketball players.
1: You had so much impact on the lives of the men you coached, and you imparted so many lessons to them. What were the lessons that were most important to you when you were dealing with the loss of your, your wife of 52-plus years? Well, that
2: was pretty tough for a while, but um, I I was um, had a wonderful family, supporting family and friends, and like many of them came with me daily when I was going to hospital and she was in there things. so I had this word of them and my minister and uh, then I got to the point where I could uh, reflect on the good times and so it's all those things entered in uh, to helping me but I'll never forget you know, but I, I, I can reflect I see her in every room
5: when Nell left and we were we would all be down there and coach spent every single day at the hospital and we would show up. I see all you guys there down there all the time, and it was just it's so tough and so sad. That was twenty years ago. So his
2: actions toward her spoke volumes.
5: His
0: actions towards her spoke volumes. Imagine this, Pat. The coach, his wife is dying, it's it's decades after, and his ball players are at the hospital. How does that happen? And doesn't everybody want that?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, N- Nell Wooden was a big part of the team. Uh, she traveled uh, with the team uh, to most of the games. Uh, she was present. Uh, the players knew her. Uh, she was part of the UCLA family. Uh, coach uh, included her. And uh, therefore, the players had a, a special relationship with her as well. Uh, they did have a marvelous marriage. They. Uh, were teenagers and fell in love in high school, and uh, Nell Wooden was uh, part of John's life from the very, very early days, and was with him uh, throughout every stop along the way, you know, his high school coaching days, and on to Indiana State, then out to California, and and, then all the stops in between. She was just a huge part uh, of his life, and Uh, He really was absolutely devoted to her. It was a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And, of course, Lee, we've got that famous story about once a month, uh, Coach Wooden writing a love letter to her uh, after her death and uh, putting it uh, on her pillow. Uh, He let me come into that bedroom one day when I was visiting, and I got to see that stack of notes that was quite hefty. And uh, there was a ribbon around them, and, uh these were all uh, letters that he had written to her i thought by the way that would be a fabulous book you know a love a love a love story uh built around those notes those letters but uh the uh decision was that that was personal and private and uh, the, the the world would never see those letters
0: yeah I figured that would be the answer as you were telling that story i sort of knew the answer i think everyone listening pat knew the answer Yeah, I want to get to a a clip right now where the boys are talking about the impact on their lives that John Wooden had. I go out and visit with Coach periodically, and uh, I really enjoy
7: bringing some people along with me who have not met him. And the response when we leave is overwhelming. People with tears in their eyes saying, this is the highlight of my life. And those are the kind of things that we've had in our lives ever since we were 17 years old for all of these years it's 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 really it's an honor for us to have been around this man he's a he's a national treasure
1: when did you realize that it was more than just words that that it was something a way of living your life
2: it took a long time and then you kind of wake up and you go uh, gosh i'm kind of doing what he used to always say to do you know do not mistake
5: activity for, activity for achievement,
2: achievement. Failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And you go, oh, gosh.
1: You know, I, I, I remember that. that was 20 years ago, and it's still in me. John, you win 10 out of 12 championships. You're in Los Angeles. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to turn you into uh, a superstar. What kept you grounded?
2: My dad more than anything else. The things he tried to teach, uh, you're never better than anybody else. You're good as anybody, but you're never better than anybody. And then I learned from him today.
0: Today, that's all that matters. Today, that's all that matters. Pat, 30 seconds, your reaction to that clip.
3: Well, listen, Lee, we could talk about that one for quite a while. Uh, The impact that Joshua Wooden uh, had on his son, John, and and the other boys uh, is enormous. And I've never met anybody uh, at that level of fame uh, who talks so regularly and in such depth about his father. Uh, everything in John Wooden's life, he would tell you, triggered off of this Midwestern farmer, uh, Joshua Wooden. Uh, and uh, that's why uh, that book I wrote initially, Coach Wooden, uh, The Seven Principles That Shaped His Life and Will Change Yours, really uh, goes right back uh, to the lessons he learned from his dad.
0: Well, we're going to get to that the other side of this break. You're listening to Pat Williams, who's written three books on John Wooden. These two hours are about, well, one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach, three greatest mentors, and the greatest husbands of all time. The late, great John Wooden.
7: True
2: companion you are my true companion I got a true companion
0: oh, a true companion. This is Lee Habib, and this is our American stories. For the hour and next, the life of John Wooden, we were just talking about his true companion, Nellie, and the passing of his bride. And we were going to talk about love this entire segment uh, because it was a word that was so important to Coach Wooden. And I wanted to play one last clip for you, Pat, and then we'll dig into that word. Uh, But there's no no better way to hear the love manifested in these boys from Coach than in this final clip from that 2005 sit-down with these great players while giving their thanks to the 95-year-old coach, mentor, and father figure.
1: Is so there anything you want to say, Lynn, before, before we wrap this up? You stuck around long enough for
2: me to convey to you how you've enriched my life. It's taken me a long time, but I was always a little slow, I think. <laughs> slow on my feet, slow in a lot of ways. It's like going to uh, a cheerleading contest when you have breakfast with Coach Wooden. The rest of the day, you're just telling stories to other people <laughs> and everything. It's, it's just wonderful.
7: When we were here, we were too young to really appreciate it, and uh, as he's... He calls all of us that played for him his boys. And it's just such a real blessing to be one of his boys and to still have him around and be able to go out and spend time with
0: him. Pat, talk about that word love and what it what it meant to coach and to the boys.
3: Well, that's really what he was transmitting uh, to people around him. Uh, he didn't even have to say the word, uh, but you knew uh, that he cared about you and that he loved you and that he uh wanted the very best for you uh that he wanted to have a significant impact in your life and these ball players uh, understood that uh they uh they sensed it and that's why listening to those interviews was just fascinating uh because their their hearts had been touched by coach wooden and uh they will never be the same it was Interesting about uh, the, the earlier comments about people who would go to visit Coach Wood, and let me tell you briefly about that. Lee, uh, he, he, he his phone number was listed, and if somebody called from around the country and said they wanted to fly into L.A. and come visit him, uh, he would tell them to come on, and uh, he would give them directions and uh, tell them how to get to his condo and. Uh, they would go in there, and, <laughs> you know, they would be happy with 15 minutes, but in most cases, it would be hours, you know, that they were with him, uh, so generous with his time. And uh, and then people would leave, and they would be impacted for life. Uh, that always happened to me when I would go visit uh, Lee. It always happened. We would take him to dinner early at the Valley Inn at uh, 5 o'clock and come back to his house, and... visit and talk, and then about nine o'clock would leave, and it always took me about two weeks uh, to get my equilibrium back, Uh, you know, to get centered again. Uh, You you knew you had been with greatness, and uh, it was very, very hard to uh, get your life back together, and you wanted to please him above all, Lee. That's what I noticed. Listen, I I lived 3,000 miles away, uh, you know, as a basketball executive in the NBA. Never played for him, uh, but uh, to this day, uh, you, <laughs> uh, you want Coach Wooden to be happy with you.
0: You bet. You uh, know, actually, I, I as we were preparing for this life
3: now, it, yep. as amazing. we were
0: preparing, as we were preparing for this, Pat, we were feeling the same way. We did not want to disappoint Coach. We did not want to disappoint him. You know, interestingly enough, when, when Wooden was coaching the boys, he didn't tell them he loved them. This happened later in life, and if you remember, when they were talking about him, they talked about how horrible it was playing for him. So when does the coach lean off those levers of tough love and start to soften up and show a different kind of love? How does that work, and how did he do that, Pat? That's well, so hard me, for men to do.
3: Lee, let me give you an overview on that, because I've found that to be a consistent pattern. I uh, have had a, a four-book series uh, that I've been writing for the last few years, uh, the first one was Bear Bryant on leadership. Uh, then I did Bobby Bowden on leadership. Then Tom Osborne on leadership. And uh, the, the most recent has just come out, Vince Lombardi on leadership. And, and in talking to all of those former players, very similar uh, to the Coach Wooden situation. Uh, those coaches were tough. They were demanding. Uh, they wanted things done their way. Uh, you know, you it, it's my way or the highway. They, they were um, very much that way. However, just like Coach Wooden, uh, they were getting their players ready uh, for a lifetime of success after football. I've noticed that with all of these people that I've written about, uh, they wanted them to be successful, and they wanted them to be good at what they did after their football careers were over, and they were investing in them uh, to have dividends much later, just like Coach Wooden.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Excuse me. Well, but you know what I want? Oh.
3: Just like John Wooden and, uh, and those players who were uh, fearful. Listen, they were fearful of Bear Bryant and fearful of Lombardi. But now they look back and they see, ah, now I see what he was doing with us.
0: Right. It all makes now, sense. It all makes I sense. Now I get it. Yep. Now I want to play a clip. We uh, we interviewed Andy Hill. And uh, Pat, Andy had been, a, as you know, a, 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 a played on a couple of uh, Coach Wooden's championship teams. Even co- co-wrote a book with him. And uh, he tells this story about being out with Coach Wooden. And well, listen to what happens.
8: I grew up with a dad that I wasn't very close to. And... Uh, I had reconnected with Coach in a way that was sort of beyond my imagination, but he's a Midwestern guy from Indiana and tended to be pretty reserved. And we were actually driving to do a TV show called Power Lunch on uh, CNBC. And I had borrowed my wife's SUV because Coach's legs were really bad. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get in and out of my car. And here we are driving up to... And Burbank, and and just honest to God, out of the blue, he said to me, Andy, have I ever told you how much I love you? Well, my first reaction, honest to God, was I was going to drive right off the 101 freeway. I'd never heard that from anyone, not from my own dad, that's for sure. And, uh, thankfully, I realized in the moment I was in my wife's car. I couldn't drive off the freeway. I had not gotten approval, which I'm sure every guy in America will understand. And uh, the next thing that came over me really powerfully was I thought I was going to cry. I mean, I'd waited my whole life to hear hear that from someone I had those feelings for. And, God, here I am hearing it from John Wooden. But I knew that if I started to cry, you know, as I said, Coach wasn't the most emotional fella that I was just going to freak him out. So I didn't. I said, uh, you know, Coach, you've never told me that before. I've seen it in your eyes. I've felt it in your hug. But to hear you put those emotions into words, thank you, and I love you too. And, you know, <laughs> what he said back to me blew, really blew my mind because this was a 94-year-old man, a legend, who had people coming up to him every day telling him he was perfect, never change. you're the greatest guy he ever met. And what he said to me was, you know, Andy, I've been working on expressing my emotions. I think I'm getting a little better at it.
0: I think I'm getting a little better at it. <laughs> Just a minute, minute or so, Pat, to respond to that uh, great clip from Andy Hill.
3: Yeah, isn't that a beautiful little story? Well, I guess, I guess the bottom line is uh, we are never finished products until our last breath. So keep working on your weaknesses. Uh, yep, and, and keep improving your strengths. Uh, never sit back and say, this is all I can be uh, because we can be more and uh, never just pack it in. And so for John Wooden to say he's been working on his weaknesses at age 94, oh, I love it. How, how can you not love that little statement? So, you... But there's a, there's a wonderful lesson there for all of us uh, about the importance of uh, – Uh, Keep working. Keep working to improve. Uh, Don't don't just pack it in and say, yeah, that's it. I can't do any better.
0: Well, you know, we have one more clip from Andy Hill because it's so good. It's a story about, well, Coach and how he would get letters from strangers, and then he would respond to every single letter, go to the post office with his own postage, and, well, send it off.
8: He said, would you listen to this letter I wrote? Now, by the way, it was a letter to a 14-year-old girl in Oklahoma. He'd never met her. She had sent him an inquiry. And he read me this long two-page letter, and in truth, in the middle of it, there was a sentence that really wasn't a very good grammatical sentence. And I said, you know, Coach, that sentence in the middle wasn't quite right. I think you need to break it into two sentences. And without missing a B, he said, and keep in mind, this was a handwritten two-page letter, he said, that's exactly what I thought, and he took the letter and tore it up and started to write it all over again. That's Mm. what filled him up. That's what made him happy. And Coach, of course, would wait in line, sending things back to people who had asked for his autograph without a self-addressed stamped envelope, which I have never met another public figure who doesn't just throw those things out. Coach, it's been thousands of dollars a year mailing them back.
0: This is Lee Habib, and that was Andy Hill, telling a story about the man he loved, his coach, his mentor, a father figure. And you're listening to Pat Williams, who'll be with us for another hour. Pat has written three books about John Wooden. Pat is also the co-founder and senior vice president of the Orlando Magic and one of the great, great men who writes about, thinks about, and worries about our nation's men and the men and boys who need love from another man. Lee Habib, this is Our American Stories. This is Our American Stories, and for the hour, the life of John Wooden celebrated. On this day in history, in 1910, John Wooden was born. In the 1960s and 70s, he won 10 championships in 12 years coaching the UCLA Bruins infamous basketball team, including seven, seven championships in a row. It's unimaginable. We want to continue with John Wooden's love for people. And even more remarkably, random people who had absolutely no connection with him. Except to him, they were connected. They were children of the same God. They were brothers and sisters. I want to read one story from Pat Williams' book, How to Be Like Coach Wooden, and then hear from Pat. Pat writes, quote, A young man from Baltimore, Brett Greenberg, told me, I wasn't good enough to play for my high school team, but I love basketball and I wanted to be a coach. When I was 17, I wrote a letter to John Wooden and told him about the goals in my life. Within a week, he wrote back, gave me his phone number, and said to come visit him when I was in Los Angeles. My dad and I agreed that we should take advantage of the invitation. So in August 2003, we flew to California to see Coach We spent three and a half hours with him. And we talked mostly about life, not X's and O's. Coach spent an hour reading poetry, most of it written by one of his players, Sven Nader. He even played us a song, Sven had written and recorded. As the afternoon unfolded, I tried to remember every word because as Coach was speaking, I felt it was a prophetic vision from the wisest man in the world. Brett went on to say, two themes came through to me, faith and patience. He told me, things work out best for those who make the best of how things work out. He also told me, if you work hard and love what you do, what could be better? That sure makes sense to me. And Just imagine, a random letter from a kid who's thinking he wants to be a coach because he's not a good ball player, writes a random note to the greatest coach of the century. And that guy takes the time to not only write it back. And by the way, the people who might write back might say, hey, nice nice thoughts, kid. Talk to you soon. Some might even give the invitation but not mean it. Some might even give the invitation, mean it, and spend 10 minutes with a kid. But not many would give the invitation and then spend three hours with a kid and read poetry to him remarkable. Can't make these stories up, folks. Let's take a listen to Pat Williams' thoughts on this story and what we should all take away from it.
3: Listen, those stories would happen all the time. You know, after Coach Wooden retired, uh he had time, and if somebody wanted to see him, uh, like a high school coach or or somebody from uh, other walks of life, uh, they uh they would be invited and they would fly to L.A. and come over to his condo in Encino, California, and uh, Coach wouldn't have time for them. I think most people, when they went there, were hoping to get an autograph and maybe move on, but (laughs) three, four hours later, they would leave uh, with an enormous impact in their life, uh, thinking, I can't believe what just happened but, uh, but he, uh, he was very generous with his time.
0: And by the way, no one's written about leadership more than Pat Williams, co-founder of the Orlando Magic, and an author of at least 80 books on leadership, interviewing most of the great coaches and leadership figures in this country. Sven Nader, whose poetry John Wooden read to Brett Greenberg, lived in an orphanage as a kid in the country of Holland. By the age of 20, miraculously found himself in the United States Playing Coach Wooden's UCLA Bruins on their 72 and 73 championship teams. He later found success in the NBA. But as Swen says, none of this would have been possible without Coach. And it even led Swen to write a love poem to him, a love poem from one grown man to another. And Swen recorded it for us. Let's take a listen.
4: I saw love once. I saw love once. I saw it clear. It had no leash, it had no fear. It gave itself without a thought, no reservation had it bought. It seemed so free to demonstrate, it seemed obsessed to orchestrate a symphony designed to feed, composed to lift the one in need. Concern for other, others was its goal, no matter what would be the toll. It's strange just how much care it stores to recognize its neighbor's sores and doesn't rest until the day it's helped to take Soars away, its joy retains and does not run until the blessing's job is done. I saw love once; 'twas not pretend. He was my coach; he is my friend.
0: Beautiful, and thank you, Swen, for that. In Pat Williams' book, Seven Principles That Shaped His Life and Will Shape Yours, Swen told him that Coach wouldn't believe that you quote never lived a perfect day until you've helped someone who can never repay you in any way. I can't possibly pay Coach back. Another person who couldn't possibly pay Coach Wooden back was one of his black players, Clarence Walker. And this story was at a time when Wooden wasn't the Coach Wooden we all now know. He wasn't famous. No one knew who he was then, but he was the same Coach Wooden within his soul. He always was. Take a listen. You know, this
3: was back um, you know, after World War II um, in, the, in the 40s. And his teams at Indiana State were good, and they, uh, they got offered to go to the NAIA tournament in Kansas City. Uh, they wouldn't take a black player, and he refused to go. And then it, it happened again the next year, and he took the same position. This time uh, they let the kid play, and, you know, it was a big step. And the Coach Wooden, I think, showed a lot of courage uh, in a period you know when um, segregation was still very much a part of our life in America, and we had, we had a long way to go. Jackie Robinson had just integrated baseball in 1947. So this is when Coach Wooden was at Indiana State when all this was going on. So this was a difficult time, but I I think uh, that was a period of uh, when Coach Wooden really stepped forward. And, and and did what he had to do in a, in a period when it wasn't to, when it wasn't common it wasn't practiced that much so yes he uh, he definitely led the way in many regards in that in that in that
0: situation always leading always teaching the most important always loving this is lee habib this is our american stories born on this day in history in 1910 john wooden These are American stories, and we continue with the life of John Wooden, born on this day in history, in 1901. And now let's dive into one of Coach Wooden's other great loves that Pat Williams, again the co-founder of the Orlando Magic, told us about, and that's the word practice.
3: You know, he would lay out his practices on uh, three by five cards, uh, spending hours each day getting ready for those practices. And so every practice was run, I mean, to the second. Uh, there was not one wasted movement, not one wasted move. Everything, everything was done in a precision-like fashion. And he kept those cards. You know, he had a filing cabinet, and, uh, you know, he would keep them. So if you wanted to go back and check and see what he had done at a practice, oh, I don't know, uh, in uh, November of 19. 50, you know, he could go and show it to you, and uh, it was there, you know, exactly what we did that day, and so he was uh, a fanatic for well-run practices, and the way to do that is to be uh, absolutely thorough in your preparation, thorough. Uh, These are life lessons for all of us, by the way. We don't have to be basketball coaches, but if we, uh, you know, if we're getting ready for a meeting or if we're uh, running a company, if we're getting ready to give a speech, uh, if we're writing a book. You know, all of these areas of preparation uh, are so important. If we're running a military engagement, uh, we better be prepared and we better know exactly what we're doing.
0: In Pat's book, How to Be Like Coach Wooden, he expanded upon this, writing, quote, Coach met with his assistants for two hours every morning to plan that afternoon's practice. The planning sessions often lasted longer than the practice's. Practices were tightly organized and conducted with clock-like precision. There was constant activity, with players moving from drill to drill quickly and efficiently, so that the intensity level was kept at a remarkably high level. We practice for fewer minutes than any team, Coach Wooden said. And as you can imagine, practice is something most young people aren't interested in, and Coach Wooden just well he was going to do it his way and you were going to do it his way or not it was not a democracy playing for coach wooden in pat's book he writes about coach wooden's belief that disciplined practice was one of the ucla bruins greatest advantages over other teams he writes quote when wooden was told that others called his offense predictable coach simply said i am not a strategy coach i am a practice coach besides there are no real secrets to the game, at least not for very long. It was all about nailing down what he called the little things, conditioning, the fundamentals, which you could only master through practice. But Pat Williams reminded us that practice wasn't Wooden's only competitive advantage and may not even have been the biggest one.
3: Coach Wooden was once asked um, his secret to success at ucla and he said talent 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 he said i never wanted to go into a game with my opponents unless i had better players than he did." (laughs) now that's a pretty succinct way of putting it he said i learned over the years that generally the team with the best talent is going to win the game so, so then, however, uh, there was another issue here. Coach would be accused of having these these great players, this great talent, and he would respond. He said, "Do you know how difficult it is to coach talent?" He said, uh, "Not every not every coach can do it." He said, "Coaching talented players is not easy." Uh, he had the ability to coach great talent, and. Uh, And as I said, uh, not every coach can do that. Let's face it. uh, Talented players uh, can be uh, very independent. Uh, They can be very creative in their own thinking.
0: that's, That's an understatement. And so many people don't want to be around really talented people because they can't control them as easily. And if you've ever tried to work with actors or actresses or artists, I think that's very much the same, too. It's not like running a manufacturing facility, working with seven or eight highly, highly tuned athletes, or six or seven actors and actresses and a director. Very different. But, boy, if you don't have really talented people on that stage, whether it's the stage stage or the stage of sports, good luck. How to get them to submit, how to get them to be humble, how to get them to play together, no duck walk. And wouldn't, well... Last hour, we talked about how Coach had managed the incredible talent and incredible personality, one of them, that is Bill Walton. But we also talked to another UCLA player named Andre McCarter, who once made the grave error of doing a stunt play during practice. He passed the ball behind his back, which is not exactly the most eccentric of stunt plays out there, but for it, he received the strongest rebuke, that Coach Coach not would ever deliver to a player, yelling, goodness gracious sakes, alive, Andre.
9: I mean, he said that was his way of um, expressing his dislike. So you knew, you know, as opposed to maybe some coaches that actually used the expletive, um, you know, that was his, the, the furthest he would go. So you knew if you heard that, you had pretty much, you know, got to the air of his... Uh, D- dislike about something.
0: And there you have it. And by the way, he didn't have to scream and yell. He didn't have to curse. This episode wasn't over, and neither was this teaching opportunity for Coach Wooden or the learning opportunity for Andre McCarter.
9: The next day, I was upset. <laughs> well, I was upset then, and I was upset uh, because the play was completed and everything we scored, and you know, it all worked. So, uh, the next day I came to his office and I was, uh, upset. He coming out my ears. So he says, well, have a seat. I really didn't want to have a seat, but finally he convinced me, you know, sit down and have a seat and, you know, talk about it, whatever. So I, I asked him, well, what's the problem? You know, what, what are you going off about? You know, what, what was the problem? And, uh, so Instead of answering me right away, he starts digging in his drawer. So he goes in there, and he's digging through these cards and stuff, and he comes up with this, these statistics. So he says, uh, well, the path that you made is probably, pretty good path is probably about 78% successful in that situation. But the basic path in that situation is rate, you know, percentages right around 98%. So I'm sitting there. Now, unless I just want to be a knucklehead, <laughs> the numbers, you know, you want a 78% uh, pass that you're making or a 98% pass. So it's kind of like all the steam and everything just kind of subsides. So, okay, Coach, you know, how can I argue, you know, against those numbers?
0: Great teaching, by the way. Not yelling at the kid, Don't don't do that or don't do this. Showing him rather than telling him, letting it sink in, And what talent Andre McCarter had. He's the kind of guy who wants to make something just a little more difficult just for the fun of it. But he didn't know it would be 20 percentage points more difficult. And that really baked home because turnovers in basketball, like football, unforced errors in tennis are the difference between winners and losers. And winning games and losing games. Andre elaborated in Pat Williams' book, quote, A few days later, coach talked to the team about consistency. Winning basketball, he said, has nothing to do with the highlight place. And that is true, and that's another reason why he's throwing that around the back pass because that would make the highlight real. And the girls like it. When Coach Wooden retired, someone asked him what he missed the most about coaching basketball. And it was actually moments like that. His precise response was, quote, "The practices, not the rings or the titles. You see, I'm a teacher, and I miss teaching the young men. Just note his stressing that he was a teacher. He didn't view or see himself as a coach. He was teaching a way of life that would pay dividends for these young men far past their days on a basketball court. And that's why these young men, now grown men, love him so much what he did for their whole selves, their whole human personality, and not just that basketball self. And that's what teachers do. They're not just sitting there teaching you math. We learned that from Coach Saban, who, by the way, if you heard stories about Coach Sabin at LSU, screaming guy not in control, sometimes the kids wondered whether he loved him. Talk to folks who now know this Coach Saban. Much more calm, Still intense, and believe me, Coach Wooden was intense too, but more love. And in the end, these boys loved Coach because Coach loved him. Didn't mean he was easy. And he wasn't. But he loved them, and he disciplined them. And when we come back, you're going to hear so much more about Wooden and from some of his other athletes. More on the life of John Wooden after these messages. This is Our American Stories. American Stories, and we're celebrating the life of John Wooden, born on this day in history in 1910, the UCLA basketball coach who won 10 championships in 12 years, including a whopping seven championships in a row. I think most folks consider him, if not one of the best, the best coach of the 20th century, certainly the most influential. More has been written about him. He's impacted more coaches, more people. And people, he, people who were not even basketball fans were moved by his life story and thus the amount of time we're spending on his life tonight. This next segment, we're going to talk about where all of this greatness in John Wooden came from. And it was largely two things, his God and his relationship to God and his father, Joshua Wooden. Here again is Pat Williams, the co-founder of the Orlando Magic, and the author of over eighty books on leadership, including three of them on John Wooden
3: Joshua Wooden was not formally educated; he was a farmer and uh, but yet he had a great love for books uh, they, they did have a reading ritual in which he would read from from great literature, read from the Bible, and uh, that left an imprint on these four wooden boys and then of course uh, when when John Wooden finished the eighth grade, his father. Uh, had written out seven principles, a seven-point creed uh, that he wrote on a card or a piece of paper, handed it to Johnny Wooden at age 12, and said, Live by these rules, John, and you'll be fine. Well, how many 12-year-old boys would have kept a piece of paper like that? You know, most of them would turn it into a paper airplane, right? Or, uh, Or they would put their chewing gum in it. But uh, John Wooden folded it, put it in his wallet, and that's where it stayed his entire life. I, I'm so grateful that John Wooden did that uh, because these seven principles of life uh, not only helped John Wooden, they've helped thousands of others. I wrote a book about it a few years ago called uh, Coach Wooden, the seven principles that shaped his life and will change yours. So I'm, I'm grateful that John Wooden uh, didn't throw that sheet of paper away when he was 12 years old.
0: Yeah, it would have been one less book for Pat. And I might add one thing. You know, not many dads put seven principles on a piece of paper to the son they've been reading to every day throughout his life. Reading the great books, reading the Bible too. So in some respects, because of what the dad did, the son was more inclined to follow. And that's what leadership's all about in the end. And by the way, what were those seven principles? Well, here they are, straight out of Pat's book and straight out of John Wooden's wallet. One, be true to yourself. Two, help others. Three, make friendship a fine art. You bet. Four, drink deeply from good books. Five, make each day your masterpiece. Six, build a shelter against a rainy day. And last... Give thanks for your blessings and pray for guidance every day. Joshua wouldn't lived out those seven principles. It wasn't just a sheet of paper. And I want to talk for a second about how he lived out number six, build a shelter against a rainy day. Well, Joshua wouldn't have that rainy day. He'd purchase some pigs as an investment for the family's Indiana farm, but their expense necessitated that he take out a mortgage. He also purchased vaccinations to keep them healthy. But it turned out that the vaccine was bad and the entire herd died as a result. And later that same year, his crops were destroyed by a drought. Unable to continue paying the mortgage, Joshua Wooden had to sell his farm to the bank. He had to move his family to a whole new town. He had to start a whole new career. He had lost everything and would have to build an entire new life. At least it would seem so to the outside world. And yet, Joshua Wooden would never deliver any crossword to the man who sold him the bad vaccines. John said that he never heard his dad blame that man or anyone else, and he never cursed or complained about their life being turned upside down, because to Joshua Wooden it wasn't. As the Bible commanded him to do, and he did, he made his real house, his soul, and built it with the strongest foundation of them all, his Savior, Jesus Christ a foundation that couldn't be shaken by any storm that the world brought him. From watching all of this at an early age, John Wooden concluded that, quote, building a shelter against a rainy day, this is not necessarily a material shelter. Your faith, whatever it may be, is the greatest shelter of them all. What a thing to teach your kid. Unbelievable a faith that John Wooden would also rely on and share with the world. Here again is former UCLA basketball star Swen Nader. We heard him read some of his poetry to coach before, this time about Coach Wooden praying with him and what that felt like.
4: It, it was really strange. He, When he spoke to God, there was a relationship there. There was a relationship that went back, and I knew he could – Had done that many times before. And it was a simple prayer. He didn't get all, you know, flamboyant or loud or cry, weep, wail, any of that. That's not his style. He directly asked God to come in and and help me. And it was uh, very powerful. That's not even the word. I don't know what the word would be, but it was, I knew God was there. I knew God was listening to that man.
0: And listen to Swen Nader. And this is, we just spoke to him. This is 30 years probably after this ever happened. And by the way, look look back at those seven principles and think about how Wooden applied so many of them. Right there and then in what Swen Nader said, coach said, be true to yourself. He was being true to himself. He was praying with an athlete. Not worried about whether he was offending anybody. He was being a Christian, true to himself. By the way, he respected uh, deeply Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's decision to become a Muslim. Never any problem there. But he was never going to not be a Christian. Help others. Look at that. He's helping others. He's praying with this man. Make friendship a fine art. He was, he was friends with Swan Nader. Friends. This was way past he was an, the time he was an athlete. Drink deeply from good books. Oh my goodness, he's praying. And what's he probably talking about? Some scriptural reference at some point. Make each day your masterpiece. My goodness, there it is. And build a shelter against a rainy day? What did he just say? It's the spiritual dimension of your life that'll be the shelter. He's teaching young Swen this. He's teaching himself this in prayer. And last, give thanks for your blessings and pray for guidance. All seven on exhibit right there, folks. These aren't dry principles to this man. They're living incarnate things. And one of the things that John Wooden took seriously was being a father. He had a great father. But like it was for his father, Joshua, John considered that title more important than any other earthly title he had, as his relative, Ron Sherbert, told us.
6: Uncle John was my late wife's great uncle. And um, he had sponsored my sons to his basketball camp. And we came back to pick him up. He said, just come to their condo, Nell's and John's condo. And we went there, and he invited me to sit down in his... uh, in his, his den, his office, and uh, which was just full of all of his honors and awards, and uh, as I was sitting there, I I asked Uncle John, I said, "You know, what is your what is your most relished? What is your favorite um, award that you've got over the years?" And without hesitation, he pointed to a little, small, maybe six-inch trophy that was. Sitting next to me on the on the uh, table and uh, I picked it up and it was a Father of the Year award in california um, so I, his his heart was always with um you know his maker and his family first and uh, that just substantiated his views of life and um, you know it was very profound and had a lasting meaning for me also.
0: And you can hear Ron Sherbert almost choking up as he's describing that, how meaningful it was to him. You know, Wooden once himself said that his priorities and order were, quote, faith, family, and friends. Sometimes I put family first. That's not really the proper order, but I think the Lord understands. Always humble, and what a life. What a wonderful life. UCLA basketball coach John Wooden, born on this day in history in 1910. As always, are this days in history brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College. One last segment on Coach after these messages. <laughs>
2: I come to you with a heavy heart make the announcement that at 6.45 p.m. tonight, Coach John Wooden passed away at Ronald Reagan UCLA Hospital. The great coach at UCLA was 99 years old, would have been 100 in October. Those of us who knew him and knew him well are the ones who were blessed by his life. And as usual, when it gets down to it, Shakespeare said it best. His life was gentle and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, this was a man.
0: And that was Vin Scully interrupting a Los Angeles Dodgers broadcast back in June of 2010. And we're celebrating the life of John Wooden, Coach Wooden, who over 27 years won 620 games, including 88 straight during one historic stretch. Lou Alcindor, who later became known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, said this about him. It's kind of hard to talk about Coach Wooden simply because he was a complex man. He taught in a very simple way, though. He just used sports as a means to teach us how to apply ourselves to any situation. He set quite an example He was more like a parent than a coach. He was very selfless and giving as a human being, but he was a disciplinarian. We learned all about those aspects of life that most kids want to skip over. He wouldn't let us do that. Wooden, by the way, is the only person to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as both a player and a coach. Only one in the history of the sport. And now we're going to take you to Pauley Pavilion and the memorial service. So many great players spoke, but there was one who made all the other players cry and everybody else. And it was Keith Erickson, who played at UCLA from 1962 through 65. So again, imagine, this is 1965, he experiences Wooden as a young man. And 45 years later, he remembers coach's lessons to the day. Here's Erickson on being asked what plays they ran at UCLA. I would always
7: get asked about, uh, well, well, what were the plays that you, that you ran when you played back, you now quite a few years ago, and I, I didn't remember a whole lot of things, but what did you run back there? And it was, it was very simple. I said, we had no plays. What do you mean you had no? This is the, the, the best coach in the, in the country and all of these things? It yeah, surprised me, too. And I'd say, well, here's what we did. Uh, we had two guards. We had, we had maybe the best guards that have ever played together in collegiate basketball. Walt Hazard and Gail Goodrich, All-Americans, the, the greatest. In 1964, that first banner up here, we didn't lose a game that year. And coach would say, when you get the ball, you give it to Walt or you give it to Gale. If you get a rebound, you an outlet pass to Goodrich or to Hazard. If you make a steal, that's outstanding. Give the ball to Walt or to Gale. <laughs> And he'd say, listen, Walt is our coach on the floor. He's going to handle things out there. He's going to have the ball most of the time. And then he'll give it to Gale. And Gale would shoot it just about all the time. If Gale ever got, and we would think think about this, if Gale ever got into a position where he had to pass the ball, he would break out in hives immediately. He was completely allergic to passing. And we'd say, coach, coach, all season long, not one play. Not one play, coach. It's not fair. I know. Are you ever going to call a play for us? You know, Fred and Jack and Kenny and Doug and all the rest of us over here, and it's always Walt and Gale. Are you going to run a play for us? No. (laughs) Well, why not? He said, because they
0: can shoot and you can't. That's the end of the story. And here's Erickson and what he remembers about the coach he loved. It was
7: very plain to all of us, his boys, that played for him. He loved his wife, and he loved his children. And one of his sayings was, the best thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. And his children knew that he loved their mother. We knew it as his players, and we could see it every time they were around. Never heard a swear word out of his mouth. But if he ever blew that whistle and said, goodness gracious sakes alive, Walter, if you throw another lousy pass like that, you're out of here today. We knew we were in big trouble when we started hearing goodness gracious sakes alive.
0: And here's Erickson on Jesus Christ being Coach Wooden's savior. Here's what I remember about Coach Wooden. The kind of a man he was.
7: He was honest. He was wise. He was humble. He was fun. He was kind, he was gentle He was a man of faith He was a man of the Bible And I repeat to you What he told me That Jesus was the Lord of
0: his life You're not going to hear that on ESPN, folks And here's Erickson Closing out Reading a poem Let's take a listen There's never never been another coach Like
7: Coach Wooden Quiet as an April snow, square as a game of checkers, loyal to one woman, one school, one way, walking around campus in his sensible shoes and Jimmy Stewart morals. He'd spend a half hour the first day of practice teaching his players how to put on a sock. Wrinkles can lead to blisters, he'd warn. Players would sneak looks at one another, roll their eyes. Eventually, they'd do it right. Good, he'd say and now the other foot. (laughs) Discipline yourself, and others won't need to, Coach would say. Never lie, never cheat, never steal, and earn the right to be proud and confident. If you played for him, you played by his rules. Never score without acknowledging a teammate. One word of profanity, and you're done for the day. Treat your opponents with respect. He believed in a hopelessly out-of-date stuff that never did anything but win championships. No dribbling behind the back or through the legs, there's no need, he'd say. No long hair and no facial hair. They take too long to dry, and you could catch cold leaving the gym, he'd say. That one drove his players bonkers.
0: And listen to everybody laugh. And here's how Keith Erickson closed things out. And It has to do with him telling a story about Coach and Coach's condo. When they were players for Coach, they were not his friend. After they were players, the friendship began, the visits to Coach's condo began, and they kept on going and going. And here's Erickson talking about, Keith Erickson talking about that last trip to Coach's condo. It's always too soon,
7: When you have to leave that condo, go back into the real world. As he shows you to the door, you take one last look around. The framed report cards, his great grandkids, boxes of jelly beans peeking out from under the favorite wooden chair, the dozens of pictures of Nellie. He's a little more hunched over than last time. His step's a little smaller. You hope it's not the last time that you see him. Whenever you left his place, You'd go down that elevator, walk through the garage, and I had friends with me several times, and and we'd be walking along after leaving, and they'd have tears in their eyes. (laughs) They'd say, one of the greatest days of my life, after hearing his stories, quote those poems, and talk about Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa, I'd say, it's not over yet. We'd go up that driveway, and I'd say, oftentimes, he stands over here at the window or on his patio, and he waves to us. And he says, goodbye. He says, thanks for coming. And we'd look there, and there he was, waving, thank you for coming. And I can see him there saying that to us, thank you for coming. Coach, thank you for allowing us into your life. Our coach, our teacher, our mentor, our friend, your father would be very proud of the man that you were we'll never forget you coach thank you for everything
0: and Erickson could barely hold it together Wooden on preparing for death out of Pat Williams book he said this I often think of Socrates who was unjustly imprisoned and facing imminent death the jailers couldn't understand his serenity and they asked, why aren't you preparing for death? He answered them, I've been preparing for death all my life by the life I've lived. There is something beyond here that's more meaningful. Jamal Wilkes said this of Coach, one of his great players. Coach wanted to get out of bed and shave. He said, I'm getting ready to see Nellie, and that's his bride. By the way, Coach never asked for a raise in all the years he played at U- uh, coached at UCLA. Never got paid more than $35,000. He did have one stipulation in his contract. Everywhere he traveled, Nellie, his bride, traveled too. And one other thing was hard and fast. Don't interrupt lunch with my wife. Period. Great rule. When the L.A. Lakers came calling offering millions to coach, he said, you know, no thanks. I'm a teacher, and I want to stay right here at UCLA and teach these boys. And second, no one's worth millions of dollars. And so we leave with the song that was played on the day that John Wooden was buried. It came up as people walked away from his tomb, walked away from something beautiful, something they'd never forget. Hopefully, you won't forget this either. This is Lee Habib. This is our American stories. Behind
4: me, will trouble melts like lemon drops it up that's where you
5: find